Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. So Little Brother, Big God, that's the name of our six-part sermon series that we're starting today, looking at the life of Joseph. And it's, it's, a, it's, a powerful, uh, it's a powerful thing to experience Joseph. Uh, there's a sense in which every believer uh, needs to have a relationship, if you will, with Joseph and to figure out who Joseph is. And Joseph really represents his family, and it's really the holy family, if you will, the patriarchs. Adam and Sarah led to Isaac and Rebekah, led to Jacob and Esau and Jacob. His other name is Israel. It's the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And from this family, the only reason, the first reason anyway, that we're hearing about this family is from this family comes Christ. Judah is the one that initiates the line of kings, and through him we get David, and through him we get Christ. So that's why the stories are in there in the first place. But then there's all this other value that we get from learning about these people their problems, their decisions, whether they were good decisions or not. We see ourselves in the stories, especially in the story of Joseph. And it's a story of redemption, not just of Joseph, but of all kinds of different family members. And so we see God at work. We see broken, normal people. People who are not necessarily good people at all. They're not any better than anyone else. The only thing that's different about them is that God has entered into their situation. And that would be my testimony. I don't know about you. That's the only thing. That's the difference. Jesus is the difference in my life. Amen? How about you? Jesus is the difference. And there's no other explanation. And he's available to you, any one of you, anyone I come across. I want to tell them you can have Jesus. And the difference he makes is incalculable. It's eternal, literally. So today, the title is The Danger of Having Dreams because Joseph has the dreams and he tells his brothers and his father about them and it doesn't go that well. And it's the beginning of seeing all the different problems in the family. And for six weeks, we're going to see these problems play out and how that influences human history and the history of redemption and how it's led to us being right here and right now with these books that we call Bibles and their stories. Pray with me if you would. Father God, in Jesus' name, we give you thanks for your word. Uh, help us to understand. Help us to learn. Uh, Lord, this is a present word for us. We know this is actual, real history. It happened. It happened as it says in your word. And yet, it's also happening. The truth behind these stories, the truth of who you are, Lord God, is happening, and, and we need it to happen in our lives. We ask for it to happen. Make a difference in us. Change us. Bring glory to yourself through the change that you cause to happen in us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I want to start out with a, a question, and I, I don't know if you're going to like it. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a tough question, but it's it's the angle at which you can most effectively get the benefit from these stories, these accounts. And, and here's the question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how selfish are you today? So that's, uh, that's the question. Don't share your answer with anyone. 
Keep it to yourself. How selfish are you today? Ten is the most selfish off the charts. One is the least. And the score you give yourself today is the score for today. How selfish are you today? I know you don't want to think about your own selfishness. I don't either. No one does, but as I mentioned earlier, there's an irony here, there's a blessing here. If you do think about it, about your brokenness, about your selfishness, it, it will not lead you to fashion a better version of yourself. That won't happen at first, but it will lead you to a better view of God. Our need for Him clarifies our view of Him. Our need for Him clarifies our view of Him. Besides, if you have to choose between the two, it's better to be saved than successful. In Christ, you can be both. They come in order. Saved happens first. And you want to know this because you don't want to be the hero of your own life. You don't want to stray from God being the hero of your life. Because when he's the hero of your story, then it's a story worth telling, a story that people want to hear. And that's what we find in these stories in the Bible. And we don't want to forget it. Any story we read anywhere in the Bible, God is the hero. And so as we study, we're asking, well, how is our hero operating in this story? What's he doing? How is he making a difference? What's happening that wouldn't happen but for the presence of our hero, our God, in this story? So, on different days, you might give yourself a different score when it comes to your selfishness. People in pain or grieving, people struggling with addiction or unexpected illness often find themselves to be more selfish than normal. So, obviously, because of this, the score you give yourself is not about you judging yourself or feeling bad about yourself. It's spiritual diagnosis. And remember, the Bible doesn't land with us focusing on our shame or lack of shame. It lands with us focusing on his fame, not our shame, his fame, who he is. And, and our brokenness is part of his hero's story. We are the ones he rescues. We are the ones in trouble. We are the ones who cannot help ourselves spiritually. We can't save ourselves. We need a hero. We need a savior. And his name is Jesus. So, we're all selfish, right? From the tens to the ones. You know, if we weren't, we wouldn't need Jesus. Only sinners need a savior. Therefore, only sinners meet the savior. Our selfishness is born from sin. It's sin adjacent. In fact, if you do a little study, if you think about Genesis 3, you might wonder, well, was selfishness there before sin? Because was selfishness driving Eve? How did that work? It's interesting. We look at our own lives and we see that sin and selfishness are so closely related you really can't separate them. And when we look at the Bible, we see that the story in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, must be followed by the story in Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. Sin leads to death and tragedy every time. That's what it is. That's its nature. It destroys. So we're going to be clear about something. Uh, we're going to stick with the old 
standard meaning of the word selfish today. Because if you go online, you can look up selfish, and it's a good thing in some places. And that's kind of the new fangled meaning. And so we're, we're, we're not going to, we're going to go with the old, old school meaning of selfish, that it's a bad thing, that we don't want this. And we're not focusing on improving our behavior here, though it may need improvement. You know, we're, we're just like Joseph or anyone else in this story or other stories like it in the Bible. We can't try to be less selfish. In the end, we've all learned this, right? We've, we've, we've seen how our efforts at self-improvement lead to failure. We've seen that. That's why we're not tr trying to improve our behavior as such. You know, no, we're, we're out instead to improve our view of God's behavior. His behavior present in his love and shown by his mercy towards us. His behavior. That's what you need today. You don't need a better version of yourself. You don't need to focus on any version of yourself. You need to leave yourself alone, hand yourself to Jesus Christ, and get a view of him. Amen? Yes. We're all always hungry for that. We're always feeling depleted, like, oh, I haven't had enough of Jesus today. I haven't gotten a clear enough view of him. Well, the great thing about stories like the story of Joseph is it helps us with that. And these kinds of questions that we would ask, like, how selfish are you today? Well, it seems like that would be discouraging, but in the end, we're greatly encouraged because we meet God at the point of our selfishness. We don't work ourselves up into, you know, the best version of ourselves, and only then do we meet God. In fact, we, we, we are far from God at that point. Only when we're at the bottom and we know what we know when we see the situation as it is and we see our brokenness and our sin and we cry out from that, God, help us, do we meet the Savior in all his glory? Amen? So, maybe you're not even tracking with any of this. You're online, you're listening, you're like, what's this crazy stuff about? Maybe you agree with Gordon Gecko from the Wall Street movie, and I know that dates me, but you remember his line, greed is good. You're thinking, no, I want to be selfish. Wherever life finds you, you're into it or not, you're going to find treasure and wisdom and relief in, in this story of this family, the story of Joseph. And you're going to find something you need for your life. So remember the question about selfishness, the score you gave yourself if you participated in that, because that's going to help you as we go forward. So we start in Genesis 37. The chapter starts with some introductory notes about time and location. We'll look at the, the overall background in a moment that leads us to Joseph. But we know that the story of Joseph heats up quickly. Selfishness is in the air. Here we go. Second half of verse 2. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Already, there's a little trouble stirring here. Notice that I'm not saying anything about him being 17 years old. I might have said something, attempting to be humorous in years past, but I now live with a 17-year-old. So that's, I'm not saying anything about that now. No. So, next verse. Now Israel, that's another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. 
So I'll show you in a minute how he's really not the youngest son. He's the second youngest son. But somehow Jacob picked him out for leadership. Maybe that's where the robe came from. And so what's interesting here is that all the things that his brothers and his, the rest of his family find offensive about Joseph are actually true. And all the things that his brothers might accuse him of actually do happen. That's just one of the interesting wrinkles in this story, one of the, the, the interesting parts of it. So uh, the next verse, verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So we're right back to where we were in Genesis 4. There's coveting. That's the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not want what's not yours. Thou shalt not be jealous of somebody else. Because that's where all other sin starts. Eve was tempted to covet the fruit. And then the sin happened. And really the coveting is a sin as well. It all goes together. The selfishness was acted upon. It all happened in that one moment. That's the moment of sin. We all have those moments too often in our lives. Division, favoritism, resentment. It's Cain all over again. Maybe Joseph really is better than his brothers. The story seems to show a little bit of that, but then, well... I mean, where we're going, you're going to be amazed. You're going to really see how fragile every human being is. Because Joseph is the best of us, and even he can only put up with so much, and it's not that much in the end. We need God, all of us. Desperately need God, all of us. So he's the, the second youngest. Let's put up some charts here, some eye test charts. So this, is, this starts from the bottom and works up in the scriptures there on the side. They're hard to read too. But you see Abraham and Hagar and Sarah, Ishmael, Isaac, and Rebekah. So Isaac and Rebekah are the, the second generation. The third generation is Jacob. And, well, pick between two women, really four women. So Abraham is the, the, the one who initiates faith in Genesis chapter 12, we see the birth of faith. God said go, promised some things with that go, and Abraham went. That's faith, the birth of faith, if you will. Abraham, the father of us all, in a sense, humanly speaking. And from Abraham came Isaac, but not before taking a shortcut with Hagar to produce Ishmael. So Abraham the great is also Abraham the fallible Abraham, the one who is tempted to take shortcuts, just like you and I are tempted to take shortcuts. And there's infertility in this story as well. There's infertility in the next generation's story. Isaac prayed for his wife, Rebekah, because she was barren and she became pregnant. I memorized that scripture and prayed that scripture because my wife and I could not have children. I'll get back to that in a minute. So from... Isaac and Rebekah, you get two sons competing as they came out of the womb, Esau and Jacob. Esau, the hairy one. Jacob, the smooth one. Jacob, his name means heel sneak because he put his hand on the heel of Esau and was always, even though he was technically second born, was always putting himself forward. And we see that pattern throughout Scripture. 
It's the second born God's working through. It's the plan B. He's a plan B God. What we think is plan B is his plan A. He doesn't have A or B. He just has his plan. But our experience of it is plan B. It's not how we thought it should be. It should have been the firstborn. It should have worked this way, but it didn't. And each one of us has that kind of testimony in our own stories, don't we? We are all living with that. We're all struggling with that. It's supposed to be this way, but it's not. And right away in the Bible, we see that, and we see that in this life of this one family. Think of it. The first 11 chapters have creation. That happens. That's kind of big. Creation happens. And then you got the flood, you got Tower of Babel, you got all this stuff. 11 chapters, and then chapters 12 through 50 are all about one family. One messed up family. They are. We're supposed to see it because it's there. The 12 tribes of Israel had five mothers. Jacob slept with four of them. That's why our flirting with legalism is so inappropriate. There's no warrant for it. We have no right to entertain it. That's not how God presents himself. That's not how God shows us who we are. We're broken. We're messed up. There's no perfect story. There is no ideal. Ideal is something that none of us know about. That must be the definition of ideal. Somebody else's story, not mine. Amen? Yeah. And so you, you, you see how it works out. You probably can't make out any of these names. The red are the females, the mothers, and, and in the black you see the males. And from there, we get uh, the 12 tribes of Israel, the fifth woman being the Egyptian wife of Joseph, from whom Manasseh and Ephraim come. Here's another chart, kind of leaving out some of those names. There's Abraham, Sarah, at least Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and we see the whole story there. He wanted Rachel, worked for seven years for Rachel. He met his match. Jacob was sneaky. He met his match in Laban. God tends to do that in our lives sometimes. We learn who we are by the people he places in our lives, and so just keep that in mind. Is there somebody in your life, maybe the most annoying person in your life? Just think about who that person is. I don't think it's hard for you to remember that name or recall who that is, and thank God for that person right now. Thank you, Jesus, for put in the blank, and mean it. Because that's part of God's plan. He's doing something in you. He's doing his good work in you. And often, he's doing his best work through the things you like the least. And if you could see it, if you could trust him for it, what a different experience you'd have. And how differently you'd respond to your environment and respond to others. How differently you would see yourself in life. Let the Bible influence your thinking more so than culture, more so than whatever you're spending too much time looking at on the internet. Amen? Let the Bible influence your thinking. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, the Jacob, he didn't get Rachel after working for seven years. He got Leah. Leah wasn't loved. Rachel was. And so there's this sense of balance in the story between the two sisters. And it's, it's, it's difficult, but Leah, because she wasn't loved, 
apparently had more children, so she has four children in a row. Rachel is infertile. There it is again, infertility. And so Rachel says, well, I can't have any children, so Jacob, you're going to have to sleep with my servant Bilhah. And Jacob says, okay. And he does that, and there comes two. And then Leah says, well, I've got a servant too. You've got to sleep with her. Okay. And there's two more. And then Leah has two more sons after that and a daughter. And then finally Rachel is pregnant, and she gives birth to Joseph. And then the youngest, the actual youngest, Benjamin. And that's in the, in the birth of Benjamin is when Rachel dies. And so that has led up to this moment. And we see here that with God, and I just want to speak to you, let me speak to you. Those of you who need to hear this now as pastor, just let me pass to you for just a second or two, just a moment here. Lots of times we think that it's a yes or a no from God. We want to thank God for his no's as well as his yeses, but sometimes it's not yes or no. It's yes or a different yes. And so many blessings have come from different yeses. For Shannon and I, we would not get back in a time machine, trade in our kids now for biological children. We wouldn't do it because we saw the different yes behind the no. And it's wonderful. And God is good. And I wouldn't trade, I wouldn't trade my problems. I wouldn't trade my blessings. Amen. I wouldn't. God is good like that. And, and you see it, and it's all over the story of the patriarchs, if you will, all over the story of our spiritual origins, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph being one of the sons. So Joseph has a dream. Dreams in the Bible, they're all over the Bible. Lots of times God can choose to communicate with his people through dreams. Many people believe he still does that. And in Genesis, they're usually, these dreams are related to, they're usually related to divine revelations. And so, here we go. Verse 5, now Joseph had a dream. So he's 17, he's told on his brothers, he's got a special coat, they hate him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to their brothers, they hated him even more. It's not working out. For Joseph. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Yeah, nice story, Joseph. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So keep in mind that these aren't just random stories chosen because they teach good lessons. These stories serve as building blocks of the gospel. They have to be what they are. Jesus had to come this way and only this way. And these stories, they testify to the legitimacy of the identity of Jesus Christ. All these stories are saying, he's the one. He's the one. And even in the nature of the story, you see that. And you see that in the story of Joseph. He's the one. He came through not Joseph, but another brother named Judah. But 
he suffered and he was part of the protection of the line of Christ. And his story of suffering reminds us of the story of redemption. It reminds us in advance, if you will, of the story of the gospel. And yet you see it here. You see it. So, we have these Bibles so we can know who Jesus is and where he came from. Everything else is secondary, but it's good and it's important. More dreams. Verse 9. He didn't stop. You think, all right, I'm not going to say anything more about my dreams. Nope. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. And when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. So jealous, another word for coveting. You, you can just see it's happening. We're, we're going down the path of death, the path of sin. Always starts with jealousy, always starts with coveting, always starts with wanting what isn't ours to want. Selfishness is throughout the story. It's present in each person's life. Joseph, maybe, maybe not. It seems to be at least folly there. Maybe, at best, innocent folly. The brothers, definitely, deep selfishness, hate-inspiring selfishness. And we learn here that all hate is rooted in selfishness. And the father himself, meaning Jacob or Israel, there's some selfishness there as well, and yet he seemed to relent from his rebuke. He seemed to pull back from it. So selfishness is the only reason anyone is getting offended or being offensive here, you know? And keep in mind, as I mentioned before, the dreams are spot on. They're accurate. And the conclusion of even the hateful brothers, they don't mean it to be, but it's spot on. Joseph will indeed reign over them. Well, let's follow this story now. What happens to Joseph in the meantime, before all that? Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel, Jacob, said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flocks at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. So this is letting us know where we are, the context we're in, always in the Holy Land for shepherds, just like everywhere else. It's a search for better pasture. They're looking for better pasture. Something's never changed. The layers of truth and wisdom in the Scripture are a sight to behold, if you give yourself a chance to behold them. So we continue with the story. And a man found him, found Joseph, wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. So it's being set up for us to take a dark turn. This is one of the many preludes and foreshadowings to the ultimate dark turn of all time, the cross of Christ. And so I, I changed the color of the slides to match it. Verse 18, they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, 
let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. So it's premeditated murder. They're even working on the story to tell. They want to murder their own brother because that's what jealousy does. That's what coveting does. That's what selfishness does. That's what sin does. It's doing in your life now. If you see it, confess it. Don't play games with it. Don't defend it. Don't rationalize it. Confess it. Say, God, help me. I gave myself a 10 on the self, or an 8 or a 9 on, on the, the little test that the pastor asked earlier. I'm feeling very selfish now, and I need your help. Meet me at the point of my selfishness. Be my redeemer. Redeem me from it. I can't help myself with it. My attempts at helping myself with it make me more selfish. That's what I've seen. That's what we all see. So help me. Help me, Lord. Reuben seems to be the most righteous here. However, he may be really selfish in another way, just trying to earn favor with his father with whom he has fallen out of favor. And it makes you ask, is all human righteousness really just selfishness? All our attempts at righteousness? And if you press that, you might ask, is all human religion really based on selfishness? In other words, is every religion every single one of them, where you can earn or deserve your way up, where you can work to upgrade your spiritual status, is every one of them merely an exercise or expression of selfishness? Of course they are, every single one of them. Every single one of these massive world religions, all of them, Christianity itself included, if we leave Christ out, which so many people tragically seem to do, all of them then become just paths of selfishness of one kind or another. And look at that. I described that to you in like 30 seconds, 60 seconds. Huge chunk of human endeavor and all the wars that have been fought over that and will be fought over that still until the Lord comes back. Christianity is the one difference. Jesus is the one difference. It really stands out. The more you look at it, the more you'll see it. Jesus and Jesus alone. So Reuben, he did, for whatever reason, still try to save his brother. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. So I guess conspiring to murder your brother and throwing him in a pit makes you hungry. And so, that's the next line. Then they sat down to eat. Right? It just shows you, we, we don't know what's right or wrong. How many times have I had conversations with myself or with others, really, where I've done the wrong thing and been completely happy with it, completely ready to defend it as the right thing or at least the right thing for me. They sat down to eat. They didn't, they didn't do anything wrong. They solved the problem. They're happy about it. <laughs> I'm hungry. Let's get something to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites 
coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on the way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. So Judah now, his plan works. And he hasn't spoken up yet, so he's been part of the brothers at this point. This is the one. The line of the kings come from him. Jesus Christ comes from him. He has to live and have his children so they can have their children leading up to David. And the same thing with David leading up to Jesus Christ. So we have Jesus Christ. It can work no other way. And so we see the line being preserved here. We don't recognize that. They don't seem to recognize that. But yet something happens in Judah. He's Christ's direct human ancestor. He speaks up for some reason. And it's no coincidence, I don't think it is a coincidence, that the Savior's human ancestor saves his little brother, even though the reasons for this might seem less than noble. We continue, back in the light. Then, media, then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and, and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. So that's where Joseph is headed. Now back to the brothers. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? He's the oldest. He's the responsible one. His reaction is powerful. We see that. It leads to the group's formation of a story that they will tell their father because selfish actions always require a story to explain them, even a false one, most often a false one. So, verse 31. Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. And we see his heartbreak there. It's been a tough life for Jacob up to this point. There's been so much failure. He's been called out so many times and made an example of because of his selfishness so many times. And here he is in his senior years, his older years. He's frail. He's broken. He sent his son, by the way, so he might feel some responsibility there. This was his favorite. He made that clear. And now he's dead. I just want you to notice that there's blood, there's a robe, there's a son. We think he's dead. As far as Jacob and his brothers know, until we find out chapters and chapters from now that he's alive, they think he's dead. And so he's dead, but he comes back to life. And all those things, don't they remind you? Aren't they reflections of? Don't they harmonize with the gospel? They do. And it's not an accident. And we're meant to pick up on these things and appreciate them. And so the, the chapter concludes. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. That's how they mourned back then. We don't have something like that now. Maybe we ought to. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. 
Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So Joseph's story continues, but none of his family knows this. The brothers know that he was thrown into a pit. They know that they didn't kill him, but they, they hadn't heard from him since. And so they, they don't even get to, to close the loop, if you will, and say, well, we know he's dead. What happened to him? What happened to him? It couldn't have been good. It could have been good. We haven't heard anything. And the father, of course, is broken and exists in his brokenness for quite some time. So this is what sin does. This is what selfishness does. It always leads to a place where we can't be comforted. Always. So a couple of things before we get to the table. We're looking at people with dreams and people who don't have dreams. Now, in Scripture, you see dreams being dreams that people experience and God communicates to them. But there's also the idea of dreams being our desires, our desire to do more with our lives. And in Scripture, they kind of merge a little bit. And so we, we, we take that for what it is, and we realize that Joseph had a sense of destiny. He sat, had a sense of who he was and how God was going to use him. The brothers didn't. And that's part of the difference. That's part of the problem with the brothers. And that's going to be restored to the brothers as we go through this story. Because these brothers, the main ones anyway, that are part of the story, they're going to be restored, every one of them. Because that's how God works. When God enters the story, all are subject to his saving work. Amen? That's the hope for your family. Come on. You're a Christian and nobody else in your family is a Christian. Nobody in your neighbor is a Christian. Nobody at work is a Christian. They all think you're weird. You probably are weird. But they think it more than they should, right? Or they say something about it. But God is in their lives too, and he's not done, and he's working, and he works like he works, like we read about him working in the scriptures. Amen? Ah, it's powerful stuff. So, the closer in proximity and relationship, the greater the offense can be, conflict, competition, not the sports kind, comes from the fall. Like I said earlier, it's another way of stating it. Sin is rooted in Genesis 3, but the resulting problems we have are represented by what we read about in Genesis 4 and on. All sin is selfish. All selfishness exists because of sin. We are selfish. We take our selfishness to the table. So I, I had an idea for naming this sermon series uh, How to Be an Adult or A Case for Adulthood. Because we live in a world where if it says for adults only, we know it's not very adult after all. We just don't want our children to see it. Uh, so we live in a world that doesn't even know what it is to be an adult. And we don't like adulthood. We don't like it in our leaders anymore. We don't like it in ourselves. Nothing in culture, popular culture especially, upholds adulthood in any way. And yet we see Joseph being an adult even at 17. 17, 18. He's not out of his teens. And you'll see him in the chapters to come some amazing things and it won't be because he alone is a standout it will be because God is part of his story and has put him through what he's put him through we are the result of what God puts us through we are the result of what God puts us through so Christ offers a way out of selfishness I want to put some words up here about selfishness if you gave yourself a high score here and you don't know what to do about it Here's where it goes. Here's what God does. Here's what Jesus taught. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the antidote to love the other. Self-care, by the way, is not selfishness. Often it's the opposite. You can't give what you don't have. 
And now we're going to think about what Christ had, all that he had, and because he had and was so much, he gave so much. Lord, we remember you. That's what you said to do. That's what's carved into this table, this do in remembrance of me. Help us to remember you. Lord, as that men now pass out the elements for all of us to partake, Lord, it's important that we who have children and give us wisdom in this, Lord, we who have children, we, we need to discern whether or not they partake. It's important that all who partake believe. Help us, Lord, to, to partake, no matter how shabby we think we are as Christians. This is not a table where we remember our record. We don't remember or factor in the score we gave ourselves when asking how selfish we are today. That's not what we're remembering. We're remembering you, what you did, your work on the cross on our behalf. That's our faith. What you do is our salvation because you are our savior. We do not participate in saving ourselves. You are our savior. We respond we receive and you are the one who enables us to respond and receive and so we do thank you lord set apart these elements now as we receive them this bread and this cup for holy purpose that they be to our faith your body broken your blood shed to pay the full price for our sins for our selfishness and to set us free from our sin to set us free from sin and the resulting death and hell Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are a part of our story. Thank you that you have injected yourself into our lives, into our relationships. Thank you, Lord, that we are here at this moment together. We're a mess. We, we haven't gotten as far as we would have liked to have gotten. We don't feel the way we'd like to feel. We feel exactly like that one over there who just made commentary on how he feels or she feels. That's us, Lord. That's how we feel. That's how we feel. That's the condition we're in. That's, that's how you find us. That's why it has to be about you. We rely totally on you. We lean on you. We believe in you. We trust you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Maybe some of us have been far from this in past days. Maybe for a long time we've been far from this. Let us now see ourselves as close to this, close to you, because you've drawn close to us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.